This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. नमस्कार मैं हूं भावना सुमाया और हमारी आज की मेरी कहानी एपिसोड में वी हैव अ गेस्ट हु इज अ जर्नलिस्ट अ डॉक्यूमेंट्री फिल्म मेकर अ काइंड ऑफ एन एक्टिविस्ट एंड मच मोर शी इज गोइंग टू टेक अस थ्रू हर जर्नी एंड शी इज गोइंग टू इंट्रोड्यूस हरसेल्फ इन द वे शी वांट्स टू माय प्रिविलेज टू इंट्रोड्यूस दीपिका भारद्वाज हाय दीपिका Hi Bhavna ma'am it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be on your show and talk about myself my name is Deepika Narayan Bhardwaj i'm a resident of Gurgaon Haryana and for the past 10 years i've been making feature length documentary films and working on a subject that's very close to my heart something that i often like to call as uh, issues of the forgotten gender and that's uh, what i mean by that is injustices faced by men in india today so what happened you started your career as a journalist uh, absolutely ma'am uh, well there is a there's a history before that as well i started my career as a, as a software engineer with infosys technologies and then i did my post graduation in um, broadcast journalism after that uh, i was working with an organization uh, which is quite known uh, it's called exchange for media it's not the mainstream uh, media publication but it's in the b2b uh, uh, sort of news i was covering marketing and advertising for them and i was just about to be promoted as a senior correspondent with them when something very very personal happened in my life where uh, i'm uh, in my own family a marriage broke down uh because of extramarital affair of the woman it was sort of a planned marriage they had decided that she is going to continue uh doing her job and this man happened to be her boss and so they decided uh that they're going to go ahead find a man get her married because that man was married already so he couldn't get married to her so they sort of struck a deal that she is going to get married continue the affair and make a fool out of the man she's gotten married to uh sad for them uh, i happened to be the savior or the sister of that man and i deeply investigated found out every evidence and every proof uh, that could clearly prove that it's the woman who was uh, the wrong person in the marriage but still uh, being the progressive people we are uh, we spoke to her uh, there were families that sat down and it was decided that we would uh, mutually and amicably part ways but uh, given the laws of the land uh they decided to take an advantage still despite being wrong and they withdrew the mutual consent divorce petition and leveled allegations of uh, dowry demand domestic violence uh that she was being beaten up every day and she was being demanded dowry template allegations no date no time no sequence of events just bold allegations that there was dowry demand and domestic violence uh that's when it came as a shock to me that how could such white lies be told in the court of law and uh while our case was sent to mediation and then we put our foot down that we are not going to compromise uh but still we were advised by every single individual that i spoke to ma'am at that time including a retired judge who said the laws are extremely one sided it would be much better to uh, for you to get out of it however you can and because your evidence is no matter how strong they are i've seen them yes they are strong um but your evidences will come at the stage of evidence which would be after 3 4 5 6 years of harassment and legal torture 
at the same time torture by the woman who can file multiple cases against you and your entire family so it's much better to settle uh, but we did put our own conditions for that compromise and that case uh, you know sort of uh, went away and was uh, ended and ended uh but that left a very very bitter taste uh to me as an individual who has always fought for the right who has always fought for anyone who i've seen in front of me going through wrong as a woman from haryana i've seen women being harassed in the buses i've myself stood up for them and fought with strangers uh so this came as a shocker on how such white lies could be told and when i got into the realm of knowing the one sided gender provisions in the country i was taken aback because there were just so many people who were getting falsely accused whose lives were getting destroyed there were so many men who had committed suicide my own family had a very very traumatic time post all of this got settled because we were taken for an absolute ride there were a lot of emotions attached to that marriage uh we had prepared day in day out for that day to come and when that day come it took us to a trauma that uh left us uh with a very very bitter note uh i told my boss at that time bhavna ma'am that sir give me one year i want to spread awareness on this people do not know about this there is no film made on this there's no documentary made on this even though the misuse of ipc 498a has been going on for the last 20 years and it surprised me nobody has taken had the gumption to actually put out the stories of these uh, uh men their families uh, and not a small number a very very huge number ever on the polaroid or as a documentary film made medium took it upon myself i'm going to spread awareness because a lot of people end their life thinking that the only one stuck in this so i wanted to spread awareness tell people you're not the only one there are a lot of people going through the same ordeal you should fight it out and not give up your life i told my boss i'll take one year and then make this documentary and come back but it's been 10 years so uh, when all this was happening you were a journalist yes ma'am and you asked your boss for a break because you wanted to investigate this absolutely ma'am i took a month off and they were kind enough to allow me to investigate and you are basically a software engineer so you didn't know enough about law absolutely not see what is wonderful and very moving for me is that it is a personal incident but it's not something that's happened to you per se it's happened to a family and you are taking up cudgels on behalf of it so um two questions before you tell me uh, what you did in that one month is that yeah. when you were researching all the clues against the woman who was married to your brother how did you do that you are not a detective you don't know a detective agency it's very intriguing and interesting for me uh subhavna so ma'am i think it's a very long story i hope i'll be able to justify the time but i'll tell you i was at an event in bombay at that time for my company uh there were already very very clear signals she was very cold uh, to the entire family uh when we had been persuading her to select the photographs for the marriage uh, so that we could get the album printed we were all so much in you know that mode of you know a woman a girl has entered to a home like a daughter or like a sister i was looking forward to actually have a very beautiful relationship 
but when there's so much of coldness in the other person, then you tend to question. Uh, my mother used to question this thing a lot. Uh, but I tell her that, you know, mom, we are in 21st century. It's not that a woman would just come to home and, you know, treat her as her own family and parents. You give her some time and, and don't behave like this. She'll be okay. She'll be fine. Uh, but I think she had the signals better than I had. So there were clear indications. So then I was in Bombay for an event. And when I came back, my sister was here. My cousin's sister was here. And she told me that, Didi, there's something terribly wrong with this woman. The moment uh, on the weekend, Bhai took us out. And the moment we were going out, she immediately sends a message to somebody not to call her, not to message her. And then there's something wrong with her. And I said, I have been thinking the same, uh, but I thought my feelings are wrong. So let's just do this. I got my friends together. She used to travel in Metro. I made them, I asked them to camouflage them with a mask or something. Not that she knew any which ways. Uh, so I started from there. First day itself, it was amply clear, evidently clear. The moment she got in the Metro, she would call that man and in, tell her the entire detail of the little time that she would have spent uh, in the evening or the night. She, she used to go at 7 a.m. and come back at 10 p.m. So she was, she was, practically with that man, despite being married here. So uh, she went for some holidays saying it's an official event. There were a lot of, you know, after that we could look, reflect and then see that she did not tell us where she went. And then she immediately came back when we called her. So we just connected the dots. I was not an investigative I was not a detective, but I and I did not even know the laws, to be very honest, ma'am. I do not know if it was instinctive. It was just that I am a very uh, logical and a rational person, which made me realize that it would not be an easy job to prove this allegation because we are sort of raising a question on her character. And I know that, you know, raising a question on character of a woman in at least today's time is not very easy. So I knew I had to back myself up with a lot of evidence. So this was one. Uh, then we went outside her office, made a lot of videos. We were able to capture some very intimate videos. After that, still we wanted to settle this amicably. Uh, but uh, she said, my brother will have to give her 60,000 per month. My father strangely asked her not to make a big deal because extramarital affairs are an order of the day. I was surprised to hear that, uh, that he said this. Uh, but at the same time, he did say this. And he just said, ask her to leave her job and things will be fine. We did the same. But she said, my brother will have to give her 60,000 rupees per month as maintenance. Not maintenance. Like he will have to give her the money, come what may, and she will not do any other job. Uh, so the, she was so confident on putting this all out. But anyways, we confronted her. And when the fa families were going through all of that, I put my foot down and said, I'm going to record everything that happened in this home. And we did. And that was the time that man started sending her messages that you said you will continue. You said you love me. You used to say, tell me I love you a thousand times. You're not responding to my calls. So all that evidence kept piling up, piling up, piling up. But couldn't have helped her, ma'am. Couldn't have helped her. Honestly, could not have helped her. If she filed a 498A, if she filed a domestic violence case, could not have helped us. We would have been implicated in a criminal case and only probably due, during the trial, these evidence would have been looked into. So what happened in that one month leave you took from the office? So getting my friends behind her and then uh, being outside her office to capture all of those videos. 
investigating all of these things and understanding what are the repercussions for us, what should be the actual way out to doing this. So not exactly one month, but around this time, I told my boss that I will not be able to present in the office. Now it's been 11 years, so can't actually recall every uh, day's uh, event. But then around that much time, I took it. And when I knew I have a very strong this thing, then we sort of confronted her. Uh, but I did not start working on this after that. I joined my job back. I was doing my job. But then there were a lot of uh, remnants and there a lot of aftermaths, the depression, the trauma that was going on in the family. So eventually I decided to leave my job and make this documentary and concentrate my focus full time on this because I was not able to do justice. I'd started meeting people. I'd started meeting victims. I'd started doing the research. Uh, I joined a program called the Landmark Foundation in which you have to do a community project. And this documentary is something that I took up as my community project. So eventually when I realized I was not able to do justice to my job and this project, I decided to quit my job. So how did you make your first documentary? Martyrs of Marriage? Yeah. Yes, Martyrs of Marriage. Uh, it came on Netflix for two years as well in from 2018 to 2020. Uh, the idea was to basically capture these case studies, uh, analyze what, has, what all has happened with the law and propose changes in the provisions. Because as a filmmaker, you could only do so. I was not a legal expert, but I was so moved by these painful stories. I still remember uh, the day I saw the suicide video of Sayyid Ahmed Magdoum. He left a seven-minute suicide video detailing how he was falsely accused and how he was not allowed to see his son. Uh, I still remember that night. It shook me. I couldn't sleep. And I said, if not for anyone else, uh, I will make this documentary for this man because he died seeking justice. And there are so many magdooms in today's time. So sad, Bhavna, ma'am, that while I was making the documentary, there were suicides after suicides after suicides. And there are three suicide cases in Martyrs of Marriage. Uh, one of the cases sort of tell you the frequency or the, the extent of the problem. I was going to Hyderabad to shoot a sister who had fought for her brother for five years and, you know, won the case and then motivated a lot of people to be, uh, you know, fight this out. While I was on the train to Hyderabad to shoot that story, in Bangalore, this suicide happened. This is a suicide case of Manoj Kumar. He left with a suicide note and... He had a T-shirt which uh, had sorry son printed on it. He wanted to live for his son, but he was traumatized to extreme extent and he gave up. His wife actually went outside his house, created extremely, extremely big fight and then told him that I'm going to see that all your family members are behind bars. And he ended his life the same day. I cut my journey short, went to Bangalore to shoot this case and it made a part of the documentary. After um, Martyrs of Marriage on the Netflix and the exposure you got, how did the seed for the India Sons come to you? Uh, so what happened, Bhavna ma'am, was 498 was a law that was brought in 1983. Uh, from 1989 onwards, when I researched extensively on this, is when the initial articles of abuse of the law started appearing. It was very stringent law. It was uh, non-compoundable, non-bailable, cognizable. And 
anyone, a husband, his entire family, sisters living somewhere else, brothers living somewhere else, were all roped in. Seven family members, 10 family members, 15 family members were the order of the day. So the misuse started getting reported way back in 1989. Uh, I was not even there when the law had come. Uh, I was not even born. It took 20 years, 25 years. In 2005, the Supreme Court of India called it, you know, equated it with legal terrorism, misuse of IPC 498. Eventually in 2014, almost 30, 33 years after the law had come into existence, Supreme Court passed guidelines so that there are no arbitrary arrests under 498A and the police was uh, given guidelines to be followed, uh, a notice to be served, asking the man to join the investigation and only if there is a need would the man or his family be arrested. So it took those many years for some sort of semblance of relief for people who, are, who were going through this trauma. When I started making Martyrs of Marriage, 2012, December, Nirbhaya happened. 2013, within one month, the entire law was turned upside down. Now, I'm not saying that uh, there was no mind put to it. I am in no position to say that. But I personal, personally feel, and so do a lot of legal luminaries, that it was a very knee-jerk reaction to calm down the public outrage. Such an overhauling of law must be done after deep consultations, after deep analysis on what the lacunas are. So I saw the entire journey myself this time, you know, and for 498 also had come after a lot of agitations and protests. Uh, so then uh, while I was making Martyrs of Marriage, a lot of people started coming to me on how along with 498, 376 is coming into the FIRs a rape case on father-in-law, rape case on brother-in-law. Uh, in fact, one of the lawyers in the documentary also shows us a document of a settlement where the woman put a rape case on the father-in-law and then she compromised taking 25 lakhs. Uh, so a lot of people started coming to me and then in media also certain articles started appearing where the judges started saying that the rape laws are being misused. The reason that I've made India's sons is to start a dialogue way before it took the time for 498A misuse to be addressed because 376 is a very, very serious offense, ma'am. Uh, as a woman, I fear if there would ever be a day where Supreme Court will pass a very, very critical remark on misuse of rape laws. That would be immense injustice to women who face the trauma of rape, uh, the brutality of a crime like rape done to them. And uh, that's when I decided that India's sons has to be made before my other project. Otherwise, after Martyrs of Marriage, I decided to make a documentary about divorce, separation, children being stuck as a part because that was that came really, really on to me while I was making Martyrs of Marriage because in divorce cases or in 498 disputes, Kids are the biggest sufferers in, in, in uh, marriages where there are kids. Uh, but I, I pushed that to a later date and I brought India's sons forward because I thought this is 10 years has passed since the, since the amendments came up. There are absolutely insane kind of cases being registered where after a 10 years of relationship, after the six years of a you know, a uh, relationship between a man and a woman, the woman can just go, a married woman can say that she was raped on the false promise of marriage. I mean, it is berserk and bizarre. Absolutely consensual relationships turned into 
uh, rape case merely on the statement of the woman. So I thought this is a very serious offense. Uh, I really need to make this documentary to bring out these stories of India's sons because as much as gory and cruel is a crime of rape, I think as much cruel is a false accusations of false accusation of rape. It destroys lives. It it uh, and and these stories in India's sons. If I don't know if you have seen the documentary or not, ma'am, uh, but these story of Prince, you know, uh, story of Arvind Bharti, uh, one 18 year old, one, a person who fought for 10 years for his justice, still did not get justice and left a, such a long suicide note, uh, you know, raising so many questions on the way justice system works in India. So I knew I had to tell these stories and ma'am, the case studies that make it to the documentary are minuscule. I would say minuscule of the cases that I have personally dealt with, investigated, tried to help the families or told the stories of also, not through a documentary medium, but otherwise. But I found my very, very moving. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope his case gets settled sooner than we imagine, but I have not gone into the uh, his case personally in detail because it is a subjudice case, but I wanted somebody to tell the story who has felt it and who has been there. Uh, so I, I I think it would be a landmark case once his case gets over because there's so much of overwhelming evidence, which I would not really want to talk about because, and, and ma'am, you know, in Karan's case, it's so strange. He had complained against the woman twice before of being stalked and harassed. And still the police takes her rape complaint and puts him behind bars. After that, it is proven beyond any doubt that she organized an attack on herself to ensure that he doesn't get out of jail. Still, she did not have to see the face of jail even for an hour. That sort of it, you know, tells you how one-sided things are or how one-sided the justice system has become. You have to move mountains and hills to actually get a woman prosecuted. And, and I think the documentary brings out those cases beautifully. So it's all right to have very good intentions or to have the resources or to work very hard and to mean very well. But to make these kind of documentaries that you do, requires a lot of funds, requires manpower, requires the people you are telling the story about to cooperate with you, open their hearts, floodgates, and share their world. How difficult is all this? The biggest problem or the biggest challenge in working for men, Bhavna ma'am, has been financial. Um, there is no institutional funding here. The only way to survive is through uh, donation by some kind people. Uh, Martyrs of Marriage was made with my savings, whatever I had made uh, until then, from some savings from Infosys, some savings from my uh, job uh, prior to that. Uh, after a certain point, uh, sort of post-2014, and while I had been working on the documentary for two years, I'd exhausted everything that I had. And by then I had exposed Rothak sisters. I had started speaking also on these issues. So people started seeing me as somebody who's genuinely there. So I raised a little bit of crowdfund as well. Uh, the movie did get sold to uh, Netflix, but uh, by the end of my screenings and by the end of this entire uh, journey, um, 
I have was left actually with nothing. So I had to go back and join a startup and work there for six months to sustain myself. Uh, but thankfully for India's sons, at least from the funding point of view, it was not as much challenging as Martyrs of Marriage was because I had uh, uh, this person whose name is Shoni Kapoor. Uh, he has his own law firm and he has also fought the false cases that were for, uh, filed on him. Uh, he also runs an organization called Sahoda Trust where they help men who are uh, being uh, victim, who are becoming, who are victims of legal injustice or false accusations and they provide free legal help to them. Um, and he kindly agreed to come on board as a producer. So he invested the money. Uh, now the struggle is on to actually uh, <laughs> get the film on a OTT platform so that we could have some semblance of what we are going to do next and if we would be able to have some uh, you know funds for that possible for is that. Is it very difficult shopping on the OTT? Absolutely been difficult, ma'am. Uh, I have uh, had people come. Uh, and tell me that the film is so powerful, the film is so moving and things like that, uh, but then um, faced rejection for no reasons given whatsoever. Mm -hmm. What is the next in the pipeline? Uh, Ma'am, right now is to uh, probably uh, move a little bit on to shorter content because documentaries are uh, very, very challenging in terms of major is finance. Uh, then distribution is even more difficult than finance. Uh, third takes extraordinary amount of time, extraordinary amount of uh, personal sacrifice, I would say. And then also dependency on uh, people that you are taking on board the documentary film. Uh, uh, although these were very tough times that I could not equate it or tell it as a regular thing that happens, but COVID basically led to an extraordinary delay in the release of the documentary. We had to wait for a lot of time to shoot one particular case that was left out. Otherwise, we had finished the documentary 75% before COVID hit us. And if it had not happened, then we would have released the documentary much earlier. Uh, but having uh, said all of that, it is it is very grueling process. Uh, the audience also, I think, has moved on to shorter content. So I think I'll I'll focus a lot more on bringing and churning out these stories quicker or you know in a in a shorter format than a documentary. Uh, there is definitely a feature length that will happen on the subject that I spoke about, which is kids who are stuck. I'm not too sure when that will happen. Haven't started working on it, uh, but I am here. Uh, that's the biggest thing. I'm not going to leave this space. It is challenging. Every day is a struggle. Every day is a question on what am I really doing with my life? Will I ever achieve something or Will I be able to have a life that I would have probably ex expected for myself? But then um, uh, I think nobody can do it like me and I'll continue to do this. My last question is that why do you think uh, you are the way you are or you crusade the way you do? Is it because of your uh, lineage, your parents? Is it because of your environment? Is it because uh, you are just restless with the injustice you see very rightly the last point ma'am i'm restless with the injustice that i see uh second uh i know the difference that i've made i know personally know the people who i've saved from ending their life uh if and there are so many people who have written it 
everywhere as well that had Deepika not been there, we would not have been alive. So there are blessings and there are thank yous that I receive every day. So I know the work that I'm doing is very, very important and extremely, extremely uh, need of the hour at this point of time in the, in the world. The most important thing is I have logic, I have facts, I research, the skills that I have enable me to put my points across and to put this reality across in, in quite a fine way that people understand, accept, acknowledge, uh, and appreciate. And last but not the least, the opposition, uh, the crusaders who say that they stand for women or they say that they stand for equality have become so blindly in favor of one side that they do not really themselves realize how biased they have become, though they say they uh, stand for equality or their quest is for equality. The opposition is so strong. I think it needs a strong person like me to put, put across the other side of the coin uh, because these are both sides of the same coin and both are equally important. So I personally feel that I have uh, that courage, the conviction, the passion, the resilience, and uh, I would say, ma'am, rationality to not get uh, persuaded on one side. I've called out men. There have been many, many media trials of very popular men that have stood up against the men because I knew with all the evidence and with all the facts that were available to us in the public domain, the man was not right. And I have no qualms in standing up, up against men who do wrongs to women. So I think it, we need more and more people who are absolutely neutral, who are compassionate for any human being who goes through wrong. And I think I am that. All my good wishes to you. Your film, uh, India Sons, is wonderful and all the best. Thank you, Bhavda, ma'am. I, I really, because you are somebody who, when you wrote to me, I was like, really, am I dreaming? Does she really want to talk about India's sons? I was so moved. So thank you so much for that. Acknowledge that. Thank you so much for having me and India's sons on your platform. Thank you for tuning in. If you have liked this episode, do comment. Do rate on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper, Castbox, Spotify, GeoSavan, so that you get notified when we come next. Stay tuned for the next episode with yet another guest. And until then, take great care of yourself. 